Amen. If you'd like, uh, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. And as uh, we go through the Bible, uh, we come to a place where Jesus arrives in the temple. And Jesus begins to clean it out. And then from there, he goes and rebukes a tree that has no fruit. I believe that this is very symbolic of the church today, of the house of God. The church needs a cleansing in order to bear abundant fruit. And the Lord will also be specifically speaking to each and every one of us individually how He wants to cleanse us and how He wants us to bear abundant fruit for the kingdom of God. I know it's uh, our desire, and I pray that it is our desire, that we would be a life-bearing, that we would be um, bearing fruit for the kingdom of God, that our lives would bear the abundant fruit that God has prepared for us. The title of today's message is Be Cleansed and Bear Fruit. Be Cleansed and bear fruit. And so let's go ahead and read beginning in Matthew 21. We're going to read beginning in verse 12 and we're going to go through verse 22. It says here, Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who, brought, who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfect praise? Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. Now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves, and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said to them, Surely I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to the mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. You know, as we read this, we see the account of Jesus going into the temple and then there's a fig tree and as he sees the fig tree, he rebukes the fig tree and the tree withers away. You know, I believe that as we look at this, we see ourselves in a very similar situation here where, you know, what about our temple? How is our temple? Is our temple cleansed in order to bear fruit? You know, when we look at this account, this account had happened previously. This, hap- this account happened over three years ago. And yet the church, or the temple of God, I should say, was doing the same thing. When John gave us his gospel, the gospel of John, he wrote in John chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, he wrote this 
And he wrote a, an account there where Jesus also cleansed the temple. It's not the same account. It's a very different account. But he did it for the same reason that he saw today as we read. And I want to read this to you beginning in verse 13 so that you can see how very similar this account is to the account that happened three years later. There it says in verse 13 of John chapter 2, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves. And the money changers were doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy the temple and in three days I will raise it up. And then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. You know, as we see this, as we read this account here in the Gospel of John, it took place early on in the ministry of Jesus. And it occurred around the same time. And the reason it occurred around the same time is because what they had done with the temple, they had corrupted the temple, they had made the temple into a racket. And you may be wondering how. Let me explain that to you. Because when it came to the things that they were doing, the things that they were selling in the temple. They were taking advantage of the people. They were actually stealing from the people. When they were exchanging money, they were stealing from the people. They were charging these high exchange rates in order to make a profit there at the temple. What happened is that there were animals and and the animals that were sold, they were sold because it was the time of the Passover. They were sacrificing these animals to the Lord. And so in sacrificing the animals to the Lord, they would charge an inflated price, a high price, in order to make a profit. And then those leaders there in the temples, the priests, what they also did is they said, you know what, we're not going to allow people to use their own money to buy the animals. They're going to have to use temple money. And so they made the people exchange their money for temple money. And what they would do is they would charge them a high exchange rate. Again, to turn the house of God into a house of merchandise. And three years later, we see the same event happening here. Where we see Jesus, he's at the end of his life. It's a Passover. Remember, he was crucified on the Passover the final week before his crucifixion and nothing has changed in the house of God. It remains the same. In a span of three years, nothing had changed. They were doing the same thing. And this is what the Lord wants to speak to us about. I'm going to separate this study into two portions. The first portion is cleansing the temple. Cleansing the temple. And so, let's read verse 12. Let's get into the Word and see what God has to share with us. 
It says there, Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Again, Jesus is displaying His righteous anger towards those that are in the temple. Three years ago, He took a cord and He began to just take everyone out. But here it says that He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And the reason He did that comes in the following verses. In verse 13 it says, And He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Last time He referred to it as a house of merchandise. That's what they made it into. And this time He says, You have made it into a den of thieves. You know, when we see what's happened to the house of God, it's a sad thing. And so this is why the Lord had this righteous anger. Because of what they turned the house of God into. When you look at Mark, the account of Mark, he gives us the same account. The account before, here the account in the temple, before the Lord will go to the cross. But Mark tells us this. He says that Jesus taught them. He taught them in the house of God. Mark 11, verse 17. When we look at what Jesus was doing, it's important to look at why we have the temple of God and the house of God. Why was the house of God created? Why is it that we do what we do in this house and what do we do in His house is very important. You know, when we look at the activities that go on in the temple, I believe God has activities that need to go on and He doesn't want it to be a house of merchandise or a den of thieves. But He wants certain things that are going on that should go on in the house of God. And we're going to have here things that need to go on as we read this account as He cleanses the temple. I'm going to give you several activities that are to take place in the house of God. And the first activity is that the house of God is to teach the truth of God. The house of God is to teach the truth of God. This is why you all come to church. You come to church to hear the truth of God. It's important that you hear the truth of God. There's reasons why we teach you the truth of God and I'm going to give you these reasons. The first reason why we give you the truth of God is to set you free. To set you free from the lies that have been handed down from our family members, from unbelievers, from the world. Remember one thing is that as we look at the Word of God that sets us free, we know that it sets us free from tradition and the things that have been given to us that are lies. Many of our family members that are unbelievers, they teach us lies. Not that they do it willingly, but they believe themselves a lie. And so they hand it down to us. And so when we look at the Word of God, we can identify that what we've been practicing has been a lie. See, the Lord desires to set us free from these lies. And this is why in John chapter 8, verse 31, He says, If you abide in My Word, and you are My disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. 
See, it's God's desire that we be made free from practicing lies, from living lies, because in living a lie, it only heads and leads us to destruction. The second reason why we give you the Word of God, the truth of God, is to keep you from deception. To keep you from deception. I want to share this with you early on in my life, early on in my walk. When I didn't know the Word of God, I had these people that came into my life and they misled me. And they didn't reveal the truth. They twisted the truth of God and they misled me. And it caused a lot of heartache and a lot of pain. And the only reason why I did that was because I was not, I did not know the truth. And so I was deceived. See, we give you the truth so that you will not be deceived by the world, be deceived by the devil, be deceived by others. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6, 14. It says that we, should know that, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. We see here that it talks about the trickery of men. We see here that it's telling us that the Lord does not want us to be tossed to and fro. He does not want us to be deceived. He wants us to know the truth. He doesn't want you to be deceived and to be led astray and to be destroyed. Another reason why we have the Word of God and we teach you the Word of God is so that it can guide you. The Word of God desires to guide you. Look at what it says in Psalm 119.105. It says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. See, God knows how important it is that His Word would guide you because if His Word isn't guiding you, then someone else is. And if someone else is guiding you, then they're not going to guide you in the path that you should walk in. They're not going to guide you where you need to go. Another reason why we give you the Word of God is to mature you. This is why we teach the way we teach. This is why we have, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, because the Word of God wants to mature you. He wants to make you mature sheep. Hebrews 5, verse 12 through 14 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full of age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So in other words, the Word of God has been given to us to mature us, to mature us in the ways of God, to mature us in the Word of God, to mature us as people. And as we think about this, right, how many of you desire that your kids would remain children? None of us, right? We desire that they continue to grow, that they continue to mature. Even though we love them as children, but we don't like when they act immature. We desire that they grow, that they mature. And that's God's desire for us as His children. It is for us to grow and to mature. Another reason why we give you the Word of God, the truth of God, is so that we won't sin. So that you don't sin. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. Think of what it's saying here. The Word of God has been given to you. It's desires that it would stay in your heart so that you would remember these things and so that you would not walk contrary to these things. See, the Word of God has been given to us and its desire is that, is that we would not sin against it. How do you know what is sin unless you know the Word of God? Unless it's there in your heart. And when you're about to sin, the Word of God comes to life and it prohibits you from sinning. 
Another reason why we give you the Word of God is that it gives us life. Imagine that, it gives us life. Psalm 119 verse 50 says, For your Word has given me life. See, the Word of God is alive. It's, it's amazing, right? It, because it goes out and when you hear the Word of God, it transforms you. The Word of God actually brings life into us. It regenerates us. See, it has a supernatural way of transforming us and regenerating us. And we know this because when we see the Word of God and we hear the Word of God, when we're reading it ourselves, it cuts our heart. Why? Because it's alive, right? If we're walking in sin and we hear the Word of God, there's a cutting that it does. And this is what the Word of God is designed to do. It's designed to cut sin out and to give us life in Him. And then the final reason why we have the Word of God, and these are not inclusive, but I've just given you these for now. It's to make us complete on this side of heaven. To make us complete on this side of heaven. What do I mean by this? Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And then verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, God wants to make you complete. He wants you to be ready to do the work of God. This is why we give you the Word of God. So that it can make you complete. So that you can walk in whatever God has prepared for you. Unless you have the Word of God, you won't know this. As it says there, because it's correcting you, it's instructing you, it's reproofing you. And this is what the Word of God does. As I mentioned to you, why we have the temple of God, why we have the house of God, why the church has been created, as we were talking about to give you the truth, right? To give you the Word of God. As we also read here in verse 13, there's another reason. And it says there, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you made it in a den of thieves. It reveals to us that the house of God is to be a house of prayer. That's what the Word of God is telling us right now, that the house of God is to be a house of prayer. If the house of God is a house of prayer, remember this, it will be a powerhouse. Remember that. See, when you think of prayer, prayer equals power. See, if you want to see a person or a body lacking in power, ask them if they pray. I guarantee you this, they're not praying. See, you will see an absence of prayer. And when there's an absence of prayer, there is a lack of power. As a pastor, I'm going to share this with you. I need to be praying because I know how I am with prayer and without prayer. See, I want the power of God flowing through me. I want the glory of God flowing through me. And the only way to do this is to spend time with God, is to spend fellowship with Him. When you look at Moses, remember when he was in the mountain, when he would speak to God, he would come down and his face shone with that Shekinah glory, right? It was filled with the glory of God. And this is exactly what happens when we spend time with him. We become like him. Are you praying? When we think about not only in our personal lives, but also in the house of God, it's important that His house be flowing with prayer. And I've realized the importance of this, and this is why we do what we do. This is why we have such a focus of prayer within our church. 
In case you don't know this, but we have prayer going on on a weekly basis. On Mondays, we have a night of prayer. In case you didn't know this, we also have intercessory prayer. In case you weren't aware of this, we also have a prayer chain. So whenever there's a need of prayer, you can call a number and they can pray for your immediate need. If you didn't know that there was a prayer chain, get the phone number. If you need the phone number, go to the info desk and they will give you this prayer number and you could share it with others that when they go through a problem and they're faced with an immediate trial or the giant has come, then we have a phone number for you to call and that prayer would be, moved, it would be prayed for from person to person. We also have prayer before services. Every Sunday, every Wednesday, there is prayer that is happening before services. Why do we do this? Because there's power in prayer. And not only because there's power in prayer, because God commanded that there would be prayer in the house of God. As Paul wrote to Timothy as he was pastoring there in Ephesus, he said this, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, I desire therefore that the man pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Not only did he write to that church to pray, but he also wrote to the church in Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17 he says, Pray without ceasing. Did you know that this was instruction to all of the churches to be praying? This is why we pray. And what was so amazing, we're only taking the example that Jesus gave. The Word of God tells us that every morning, early in the morning, that Jesus would go to a quiet place and He would pray. He would pray to to His Father, Heavenly Father. When the disciples saw this, they were so moved by His prayer life that they asked Him, teach us to pray. And so what ends up happening is that Jesus teaches them to pray. See, it's so important that we be a house of prayer. The next thing that we're going to cover is in verse 14. It says, Then the blind and the lame came to Him in the temple and He healed them. Remember why, we're talking about why the house of God was created, why we're here. It tells us here in verse 14, it gives us some important insight. It says that the blind and the lame came in the temple and He healed them. Understand why we have the house of God? is because the house of God is a hospital. Remember that. The house of God is a hospital. It is where the lame and the blind come in to be healed. Those that cannot see and those that have been crippled by the world, Jesus wants them coming to His church because His church is a hospital to heal the sick. I need to emphasize this point that we are a hospital. Jesus wants to heal the physical. He wants to heal the spiritual. Remember why you came to church. You came to church because you were sick. I came to church because I was sick. And I still remember the first day when I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, I had exactly what He says here, the healing of God. When I surrendered myself to Jesus Christ, I knew I was healed. I felt it. I sensed it. I knew without a doubt that I had the healing of God. This is what Jesus Christ does. When you come to the house of God, He brings healing upon you. And He shows us this. This is why the house of God was created. To be a house of healing. 
Look at what Luke chapter 5 verse 31 says. Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have, come, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Every single one of us, we need a healing from our sick ways and our sick behavior. That's why I came. I was sick. I was so disgusted with my sick behavior, my sick way of doing things. And so I came to the church and this is why we come. Those that don't come think that they're well and they have no need of a physician. That's why they don't come. But my desire, so all of you know, is that this house would become a house filled with the poor, the lost, the needy, the oppressed, the possessed, the afflicted, those that are in chains. Why? Because I know what God can do. I know that God can set you free. I know that God can bring the healing. Why do you think we were brought to La Puente? It was for this very reason. It is God's desire to bring them in. We must be praying for this, that the Lord would bring them here. Verse 15 goes on to say, But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. Imagine that. They were indignant. What does that mean? They were angry. They were upset. I want to share with you another reason, another activity that belongs in the house of God. And as you see here, it's given to us in verse 15. It is to be a house of worship. As we read there, the children were saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. They were worshiping the Lord. My desire is that this, in this house that there would be singing and worshiping of the Lord. See, when the, songs are, when the worship songs are played, God wants you shouting. God wants you singing for who He is, for what He's done, for what He's going to do. He doesn't want you to keep quiet. I remember when I first went into the house of God, I saw everybody singing and I was moved by it. This is what God wants in this house. He wants you shouting His praises. He wants you worshiping the Lord. He wants you lifting up hands and worshiping Him. Ephesians 5.19 says, Speaking to one another in, hymn, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Speaking hymns and spiritual songs that says, Sing to the Lord, making a melody in our hearts. This is the house of worship. If you ain't singing, start singing. God has done a miracle in your life. He's to be worshipped. He's to be praised. Show the world, show those around you that you're singing because of what He's done and who He is. And then my last point. I want to give you this. Even though it's not mentioned in here, it is who God is. This house is to be a house of love. Remember that this is to be a house of love. When we look at God, it defines them in 1 John that God is love. Remember, He is love. And if He dwells in us, and if He dwells in this house, then this house should be a house of love. I remember when I first went to, I, I remember when I went to my first Christian church. 
I was so blown away by the love that they had for one another. I was blown away by people greeting one another, hugging each other, loving each other. And I was like, wow, I don't see this in the world. I've never seen this before. I was moved and I wanted to go back because of the love that they have for one another. See, we belong to God. We're a family of God. We're supposed to love one another. You're supposed to reach out to one another. When you see somebody new coming into the church, you should be greeting them. You should be loving on them. You should be asking their name. You should be asking them, what's your name? You came to visit us. Why? Can I pray for you? This is what we're called to do. This is God's love. Right? He came down and reached, he reached out to us. He displays His love. Are we displaying this love to others? Does the temple need to be cleansed? If love isn't going around in this place, then the temple needs to be cleansed. Look at what He tells us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. We are to love one another. See, if the Spirit of God is not, dwell, is not, is not moving here, then there's going to be no love. But if He is moving here, then there's going to be love. Reach out. Get to know those that belong to your family, the family of God. Allow the Spirit to move through you. And all of these things that I share with you, It's things that you don't have to do. It's things that you should do. It's things that you want to do. Remember, none of us are forced into doing these things. And if you aren't doing these things, then check your heart because it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. What do we see here with the scribes? They were indignant. They were upset. Let's keep reading in verse 16. It says, And Jesus said to them, Oh, I'm sorry. In verse 16 it says, And said to him, to, let's read verse 15. It says, But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfect, perfected praise. Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. You know what we have here is we have a sad side of chief priests and scribes that didn't like what was happening. They didn't like what was happening in the temple. They were upset about what was happening in the temple. Why were they upset? Because they had corrupted the house of God. And they didn't want the things of God occurring in the house of God. All they cared about was themselves and making the money. They made it into a racket and this is all they cared about. I want to speak more specifically here as to these scribes and these priests. They didn't want the Lord's word going out. Remember it said that He taught them but they didn't like it. They didn't want people praying because they weren't praying and this isn't what they were promoting. They didn't want the sinners in the house of God. Think about that, right? They didn't like the fact that the lame and the blind were healed. 
They didn't want the children worshiping the Lord. They didn't love God. They didn't love the Lord. They rejected Him. Now let's look at ourselves. Have we become religious people? Are we like the priests and the scribes? Remember, Jesus had to cleanse the temple of these people to reveal why His house was created. We should be so excited to hear the Word of God. We should desire to be that we be of house of prayer. We should be participating in prayer. We should be inviting people to church. We should be worshiping the Lord. I want to move this now to us individually because all of these things apply to us as individuals. See, you are the temple of God. That's what the Word of God tells us. In 1 Corinthians 3.16 it says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? We are the temple of God. Or have we become like religious people? in need of a cleansing. See, the activities of the church that happen in the house of God should be the same activities that happen in our personal lives. And let me reveal this to you. In your personal life, are you reading the Word of God? Are you allowing the Lord to speak to you? Think about that. Do you want Him teaching you? And if you do, then you want to be reading the Word of God. Are you praying? Do you have your own devotional time? Do you want to be in the presence of God? In the temple of God, He says that there should be a house of prayer. Is your your house, your personal house, a house of prayer? Are we a people that are reaching out to the lost and the sick? Think about that. Or do we don't want the lost and the sick like the Pharisees, the scribes, the priests? They didn't want them. But we've been called to love them. We've been called to reach out to them. We've been called to share with them. Do you have your own personal worship time at, in your house? Do you love worship music? Do you love to sing out to the Lord? Are you loving Him? Or does the house need a cleansing? Think about this. See, Christianity, understand this, it's not about you, it's about God and others. It's about dying to self. And I know that dying to self seems so difficult. And it appears that we're going to lose so much if we die to self. But that's a lie that you believed of the devil. Because when you die to self, you receive so much more. See, living for self brought you to Christ. But if you continue to live for self, you will never find Christ. It is God's desire that as we live for Christ, you will have joy, you will have peace, and you will have love. This is why God must cleanse the temple. Remember, 
God can never fill a dirty cup. Is your cup dirty? God can't fill that cup. If you continue in sin or if you continue to live for self, God cannot fill you. But the one who dies for self, the one who dies to self, he will be filled and the dove will fall upon you. See, when we examine our lives, are we dirtying the cup? Is God not a priority in our lives? Is the world a priority? Are the things of the world a priority? Just like these scribes, all they cared about was making money in this world. Have we lost our priority? Is there sin in our lives? Is there sin in our hearts? Are we practicing sin? God can never fill a dirty cup. The dove cannot overflow a dirty cup. And so what's the answer to all of this? You confess and you repent. That's simple. God loves you so much that He'll forget all the things of the past. And he'll start anew with you again. And when he fills you after you repent and when you confess, then you can bear fruit. We're coming to the second portion of our study, which is bearing fruit. Look at what it says in verse 18. It says, Now in the morning he returned to the city. He was hungry and seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it, believes and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. Jesus was hungry. And Jesus saw a fig tree. But the fig tree only had leaves. There was no fruit on the tree. And because there's no fruit, Jesus said you will never grow again. And so the tree withered. The time of this was during March, April. Remember the Passover, the Crucifixion as we celebrate Easter. It's around the corner. And when the fig tree, when you look at the fig tree, understand this about the fig tree. When the figs come out, both leaves and figs come out. And if there's only leaves on a fig tree, then there's no figs that are going to come. The fig tree was not producing what it was created to produce. It was created to make good fruit. But there was no fruit. See, when we look at this, right? Many people will say that this event happened to show Israel that he will cut them off, that he was going to bring them down because they did not know the day of their visitation, the fact that Jesus Christ came. And so 40 years later, the destruction came upon Israel when the Romans came and flattened the city. But I truly believe that this applies to us also. See, God wants to cleanse the temple in order that you bear fruit. You're not fulfilling your purpose 
if you're not bearing fruit. Where do you bear fruit? You bear fruit around you. When people see you, do they see fruit coming out of your life? Do they see something different about you? Do they want to know why you're different? The fruit of the Word of God, is it going out from you? Are people hearing about Jesus from you? When it comes to your family, when it comes to your friends, when it comes to your jobs. When God opens a door, not that you're going to force feed anybody, but when He opens a door, are you sharing Jesus with people? Think about this. When it comes to your neighborhood, do they know you're a Christian? Do they even know you're a Christian? If they don't, then you're not bearing fruit in your neighborhood. If you're not inviting people to church in your neighborhood, family, friends, are you bearing fruit? Think about these things. Look at what Jesus told us. Here, in, according to John fifteen sixteen, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he, will give, he may give you. The Lord reveals here that you and I were chosen and called to bear fruit. Are we bearing that fruit? Are we bearing the fruit that God created us to bear? He chose us to bear fruit. That's what he's saying. That's our purpose, to bear fruit. But look at what it says a few verses prior in John 15 too. It says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Remember, Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches. He says, If we are not bearing fruit, then you must be dead. In other words, you must not be a true believer because a true believer bears fruit. If you're not bearing fruit, then you've got to really question your faith in Jesus Christ. What he says also is that he even prunes you to grow, to grow greater fruit, to bear greater fruit. When we think about this, right? There's trees that have fungus, there's trees that have mildew, there's trees that have broken limbs. These are the things that keep you from bearing fruit and God cuts them away. When we think about ourselves, He cleanses us from these things. This is what He talked about. He wants to cleanse you so that you can bear fruit. What's in your life? What mold and mildew? What broken limbs do you have? that prevents you from bearing fruit. Do you want to know how the Lord prunes? He prunes through His Word. That's what we talked about, right? He prunes with His Holy Spirit that convicts you of sin, that's molding and shaping you and making you more like Him. And thirdly, He prunes you through trials. He wants you to die of self. His desire is that those things of you would chip away and the things of Him would grow, would shape and mold you. 
All these have been given to us to cleanse us. If we make a choice to love and to obey Him by faith, this is what He speaks on here in verse 20. He says, And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? And so Jesus answered and said to them, Surely I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. You know, when we look at the point that the Lord wants to talk about here, He wants to talk about faith. Faith that moves mountains. Faith that bears fruit. Faith in the Word of God will perform miracles. Understand this. He says, you can do what I did if you have faith. You can talk to the fig tree and it will wither. You can talk to the mountains and they'll move from the one location and you can move them into the sea if that's your desire if you have faith. See, Jesus is revealing to us the power of faith. Faith in Him and faith in His Word. Remember what He says in His Word, that without faith it's impossible to please Him. 11.6 of Hebrews. How does our faith grow? A lot of us want our faith to grow. How does it grow? It's all a cycle. You know what that, how your faith grows? It grows when you read the Word of God. Romans 10:17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We're talking about reading the word of God. We're talking about how all of these things are interconnected. And these are the things and the ways that the Lord would want us to walk in. He says that when you pray, he says to believe that God can do the things you pray for. Give me a show of hands. How many of you have prayed and prayers have not been answered? Every single one of us. Why didn't God answer? The Word of God reveals, again, going back to the Word of God, why He doesn't answer certain prayers. The first that we're going to talk about, are you dirty? Is there sin in your life? Psalm 66.18 says, If I regard inequity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Do you know that when you speak and you're practicing sin, the prayers evaporate. God isn't listening to you. Why? Because you've chosen sin and not Him. You've chosen to follow after sin and not to follow the Lord. Another reason why He doesn't answer prayers is that our prayers are selfish. James chapter 4 verse 3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. This is not for the glory of God. This is, these are prayers that are selfish prayers. These are really wants versus needs. And the Lord is reminding us that, you know what, He's not going to answer these prayers. I'm going to give you a third reason why he doesn't answer the prayers and it goes back to the same thing that we've been talking about before. And you're going to be blown away by this if you didn't know because you're not reading the Word of God. 
you know that his word tells us that if you don't read the word of God, he's not going to answer your prayers? Let me prove this to you. John 15 verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, my words living in you. How do they live in you? You've got to be reading the word of God. They need to take root within your hearts. And I'm going to give you the final reason. Again, these are not the only reasons. But these were the ones that the Lord wanted me to share with all of you. The final reason is it's not God's timing. Luke 11.9 says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. What's so amazing about God is that God has a perfect timing in answering our prayers. Sometimes we desire them before it's His will. And God says, it's not my timing. Keep asking, His Word says. And when you ask, He has an answer. So He says, keep seeking me. Keep seeking. Don't stop seeking me. And if He hasn't answered then, He says, then keep knocking. Knock on that door until I open it and I answer your prayers. God has perfect timing. God has perfect timing. But it all starts with one thing. Is the temple cleansed? Are you cleansed? Think about this, right? Are you truly cleansed? Are you still living for self? Are you living for God and others? If we're believers, that's our purpose now, is to live for God and for others. If your world revolves only around you, there needs to be a cleansing. If you're practicing sin, there needs to be a cleansing. If you get irritated with others, there needs to be a cleansing. If you don't like people worshiping God, there needs to be a cleansing. If you get upset because people want you to pray, there needs to be a cleansing. If you don't want to read the Word of God, there needs to be a cleansing. God fills a clean cup. He can't fill a dirty cup. You know what God desires in us? I'm going to give you three things. To know Him, to love Him, and to do His will. To know Him, to love Him, and to do His will. Are we there? Are we there? Only you can answer this. But if you're not there, what does God say? Confess and repent. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads.